I wanted to focus on some spiritual principles about faithfulness and faithful service. And then also I want to touch on something very significant for our nation with respect to the coronation oath that the Queen made all those years ago, 64 years ago, 63 years ago. She's been reigning since 1952. And how that shows that at the heart and foundation of British society lies the gospel. And that it's not just a historical thing that is our background, our past, but it is very much our present and should remain our future. And there are two things that will threaten that, and I want to be not too clever today and not too heavy and not too prophetic, but um, there'll be time for that. But over the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to be challenged about some of the things that we're celebrating today. Because there are secularists and false religionists and people who, who have all different kinds of philosophies and ideologies which are not for the gospel, in fact, which are anti-Christ. And they have opportunity in the succession to try and bring some changes to remove from the British society some of the things that we're celebrating today. And the second thing, on June the 23rd, we have an opportunity to exit the European Union. I've written to many of you, and I want to say I do not get involved in party politics. I will not talk about Labour or Conservative or anything like that. It's an abuse of my position. When it comes to something like this, which is cross-party, and it has a, at its heart spiritual, a spiritual issue, I strongly, strongly believe we should leave the European Union. If we look at it politically, there are political arguments and economic arguments on both sides. Have you noticed that? You don't quite know who to believe, and there's all kinds of scare stories on either side. It leaves us a bit confused as we try to get to the bottom of it from a political and economic point of view. Now, I'm not going to enter that today. It's not my competence and probably not my place or position to do so. But it is my position and it is my responsibility as a spiritual leader to offer some spiritual insight and some spiritual warnings concerning the outcome if Britain continues to go with the European Union. So I'm speaking spiritually. I'm going to try and cover all of that today. But somehow this, this cannot escape us pastorally. I'm trying to say there's something here that's going to help you and bless you today as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just about the Queen or about Europe. It's about you and it's about me. Because the kingdom of God is all about servanthood. And many would say, particularly those in the charismatic, Pentecostal, robust, all-conquering, all-powerful kind of form of Christianity, say, no, 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 we are kings. We are kings. We're called to rule and reign with Jesus. We're called to take over and, and don't talk about servanthood. Talk about kingship. But remember, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God then you must be the servant of all. And in Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For the Son of Man, not even He came to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. So servanthood is at the heart of the kingdom. And at the heart of servanthood is faithfulness. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 4, talking about stewardship. It's not the, exactly the word to do with servanthood, but it's, it's similar. Stewardship. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. At the heart of servanthood is faithfulness. 
In other words, a good servant is a faithful servant. And this is very, very high on Jesus' agenda. We know in various parables, I'll refer to one in a moment, that Jesus makes it plain that his big desire for us is that we walk through life, remain faithful from beginning to end, so that the end he can say over our lives, well done, you good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is a very highly prized attribute and quality in the kingdom of God. For it flows from God himself. God is the great faithful God. I was called into the ministry through Jeremiah chapter 1. And uh, so if at times my ministry becomes very heavy and I talk about prophetic things, about the doom and gloom that is looming beyond, it's not to scare people, it's not because I want people to be discouraged, but God has given me, amongst other things, amongst the ministry of encouragement, is a ministry of warning and a ministry of alerting people to what is coming ahead so that we can prepare for it. Now also, in the book of Jeremiah, if you've read it, all those chapters, there comes a point in Jeremiah when you almost lose the will to survive, when Jeremiah is prophesying doom and gloom of all of the nations, and you say, well, thank God, there's a glimmer of light in all of that because God is a good God, and you turn over the page, and just when you think it is safe to go back to the New Testament, you read the book of Lamentations. And the book of Lamentations is this poetic picture of Jeremiah the prophet sitting in the ruins of Jerusalem saying, everything that I said has happened. Jerusalem has overcome, the nation has been overrun, and there is, of course, always a message of hope because God is a faithful God. And in the middle of this book of Lamentations comes a word which is so powerful, which is so wonderful, and a word that is so encouraging. Are you ready for some encouragement? Okay, Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. In the middle of the ruins of Jerusalem, an insight comes to Jeremiah, and he says, do you know what? We're still here. God has not completely overthrown us. There is still hope. There is a remnant. There's life. And where there's life, there's hope. And this is what he says. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed, not fully consumed, because his compassions fail not. God still loves us. God is still compassionate over us. This was a, a disciplining process on, the, on behalf of God in his faithfulness and out of his compassion. Then it goes verse 23, they, that is God's mercies, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that's the bedrock of Christian belief. When we talk about living a life of faith, it talks about, obviously, it's depending on God. It's putting our trust in God because we recognize that he is trustworthy. He is faithful. So our faith is nothing more than a response to the faithfulness of God. So because God is faithful, we can have faith in him. We know that God is not a man that he should lie 
that God doesn't, isn't fickle and change his mind, saying yes today and no tomorrow, and say, oh, I forgot about that promise. He is the God who determines the end from the beginning. He works out his purposes and weaves everything according to his purposes. And we know that in all the promises of God, not one of them will fail because our God is a faithful God. And we can trust him. So when God calls us to faithfulness, he is saying, learn from me and learn how to be faithful because I am faithful. And God is so faithful that in his faithfulness, he makes us faithful. Now, I know we have to do our bit, okay? Of course we have to. Of course we have to cooperate with God. But nothing that we ever achieve in the Christian life or in the Christian faith happens by chance. It is always to do with the faithfulness of God. As you look back on your life and you may say, well, I've got 35. Amanda and I celebrated 37 years of marriage this, this, this week. Well, yes, come on. And, and life has not always been easy for us, if you, if you know our story. I mean, first of all, the Christian ministry is a challenge to mar marriage and family life. Then with the illness and sickness we've had and the loss of children, all the, the pain, the suffering. In fact, the stuff that we went through, we're told 80% of couples divorce. We never thought about it once. Why? Because we're better than anybody knows. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. You may look at your job. You may say, I'm going through stuff right now, but I'm sticking at my job. And God will commend you, even if your boss won't commend you. But at the end of the day, don't turn around and say, look at me. Say, God is faithful. You can only be faithful because God is faithful. It's God's grace at work. I want to show you a passage, which I quoted in the first word. Actually, misquoted. It's not... 1 Timothy, it's 2 Timothy, in the first word in the Revival magazine in the uh, uh, opening section there, it's, it's, should we read 2 Timothy, and I'm going to give you the correct reference now, 2 Timothy 2, verse 11 to 13. Here the Apostle Paul is encouraging young Timothy, who's, who's had his ups and downs, and, and he wants Timothy to know how important it is to hold on. If anybody felt like giving up was this minister, this young man by the name of Timothy. And many of us in Christian ministry, many of us in marriages, many of us in places of work, many of us even in church life, feel like giving up. Faithfulness being added every single day of our lives and keeping on focusing and keeping on going is not an easy thing. And there must be a secret to it. And Paul is encouraging young Timothy. And according to Bible scholars, he draws on the words either of a hymn or a creed, ancient creed set to music. Obviously, it's an inspired creed coming from God because he says it's a faithful saying and therefore was incorporated into scripture. And this is what he says, verse 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. You can trust that word. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. You can trust that word. We, we persevere now. We endure hardship now. And future time, we will rule and reign with Christ. Now this here is a little bit of also very ex ex expected. If we deny him, he will deny us. So in other words, there is a, a way that there's consequences. 
If we deny him with our words, deny him with our actions, you don't kind of get away with it. And I think it's important, especially when you hear what I'm about to say, to underline the fact that we don't get away with anything. God loves us too much to let us get away with things, okay? So if we remain, you know, deny him and go astray, there are going to be consequences in our lives. However, the consequences are not the consequences of total rejection. Have a look at this. The last verse, verse 13 says, and here's, this is astonishing. Let every word count here. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That's profound. This tells us that our faithfulness is not as a result of our own human effort. It's a gift of God. So if you have something today in your life that you would be tempted to boast about, maybe it is, do you know what? Ever since I got saved 55 years ago, I have tithed my income dutifully, and many times I have double tithed and even treble tithed, thank God. Or, I never miss a quiet time. Every single day of my life, I have bowed my knees. I've studied the Bible. I've read the Word. Thank God for you. And the rest of us say, oh my, 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 what have you got that I haven't got? Now, let me tell you, anything you achieve by way of faithfulness is not down to you. It's because God's faithfulness is behind you. Because even at times when we fail him and we step out of stuff and we're not quite as faithful as we should be, and maybe some of us have been through long periods of backsliding, long periods of not being faithful, God remains faithful. He remains true to his word. He remains true to his promise. He remains faithful. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. I'm going to bring you through. I am faithful even when you're not faithful. How wonderful. How wonderful to know that our faith ultimately rests in the faithfulness of God. Let me give you one more scripture before I start moving into a majesty's example of being such a good and faithful servant. Here it is in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 to 24. The first verse here that I'm going to read is talking about a desire, a prayer on behalf of Paul for believers, and it's God's desire for you and me. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Very important. Remember, if we deny him, he'll deny us. There are consequences. Remember, it's our responsibility to cooperate with God. But the process of faithfulness and holiness, it's God's initiative And so Paul prays, may the God of peace himself, emphatic, let he himself do it. Let him sanctify you completely. In other words, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning, pray that you will remain faithful. Pray that you will never turn your back upon God. Pray that in the times, the difficult times, you will press on, you will press through. And when you feel like giving up, you will never give up because there's something on the inside of you, the faithfulness of God, drawing you on and on and on until that final day when everything about you, spirit, soul and body, will be made completely whole in the presence of God. But then we read it's more than a prayer. God guarantees it 
That's mind-blowing. Look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Isn't it wonderful to know that he that's begun a good work in you will carry it through to completion? That's because of his faithfulness. No wonder then when we have all those things, the faithfulness of God, his willingness and desire to inspire faith in us because of his faithfulness, the fact that he'll never give up on us, he'll do whatever it takes to keep us in the kingdom, to keep us close to him, that he will encourage us, whatever it takes, to stay the course, to stick to our commitments, to fulfill our promises and obligations in the Christian, Christian life. How wonderful then to see that faithfulness, faithfulness, faithful service is given in the person of the head of our state, Queen Elizabeth II, as an example. I think it is a gifted example. I think God is behind all of this. So that our nation, today celebrating 90 years of the Queen's life, remembering she's now the longest reigning monarch, she's the oldest monarch in, I think in existence, and longest reigning monarch in Britain, 64 years, that she is such an example of dedicated, faithful service, first of all to God, and secondly to the nation. Now, way back in 1947, the Queen's broadcast, 21st birthday broadcast, this is what she said. I read this out deliberately because it illustrates my point and then it shows something that has clearly changed over the years, because a lot has happened since 1952 and the coronation 1953. Our nation has changed beyond all recognition, and the monarchy changed as well. Uh, but I want you to look at the anachronistic situation that no longer exists in the world, and then we've got to resist the temptation to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay, that's, I'm mapping out some territory. So, this is what she said back in 1947, 21st birthday. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family to which we belong. So, look at the dedication of the service. Look at her pledge, look at her earnestness, a young 21-year-old 20 year woman. But then also look at the context in 1947. British imperialism was still something to be honoured and prized. And of course we know that back in the day very few nations had their independence and we've celebrated independence of many, many nations who were formerly under British rule and European domination and European imperialism has completely changed and out of that came the Commonwealth and so on. So all this language of the British Empire has long gone, died and over. But the spirit of service and faith in God and the place of the gospel in, of Jesus Christ in our nation should never die. Whatever else changes, 
in the ultimate succession from one monarch to the other, whatever changes in the new style monarchy that is obviously yet to come, let this element of faithful service to God and to one another, let the Christian gospel, let the Christian testimony never be removed from our nation. Can I have an amen in the house? So she's the head of state, but a constitutional monarch. Very clear guidelines concerning her authority. She has leadership both politically as the head of state and spiritually as at the very least the head of the Church of England, which is established church, which actually brings a lot of freedoms and protections even to people like us who are not part of the established church, state church. Some of the loop laws and rules which bring protection to the Church of England, we automatically benefit from them. So praise God for that. He said, the head of our nation is a monarch who loves Christ. So at the heart of our nation also, there is the Protestant Reformed Evangelical Religion faith in Jesus Christ. Now again, this sounds a bit anachronistic, but I'm going to come back to that. On the 2nd of June, 1953, I was not yet born. I was going to be born, so I would have still, I would have been pregnant at the time. I would have been, my mother would have been pregnant with me. I was born in October, so somebody work out, is a midwife present, you know, how old I was, how many months I was in my mother's womb, 1953. So almost go back to this particular time. See, I'm an exhibit A today in all of this, so you can shake my hand as well. And anyway, so she made her, uh, the, the coronation took place, 2nd of June, 1953. And that was a supremely religious ceremony. I mean, it was conducted in all good faith with ancient traditions. And it is said of the queen that the anointing moment, anointing with oil, was one of the most precious parts of, of this. Not just the pomp and the orb and the sword and all the other things. As Britain does pageantry better than almost any other nation and so forth. But there was, it was supremely spiritual. And, and it was for her a Christian experience. And at a certain point in the coronation pledge, the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time addressed this question to her. Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion established by law? Will you maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England? Now, I don't know if you've ever done Reformation Church history or anything like that. Let me just say, this is an historical reference that goes way back to Elizabeth I, who having many decades or years of turmoil in Britain with various influences coming concerning Protestantism and finally uh, England became a Protestant country and the Elizabethan settlement put an end to it all and established the Church of England more or less as we know it today as the official state church of Britain. And as the head of the, uh, head of the state church, Her Majesty is obliged to, to sustain that. That's just a bit of history there. Then it goes on to say, will you maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England and the doctrine, worship, discipline and government thereof as established by law in England? So here the Queen is promising to uphold the gospel, the word of God, and do all within her power. Now she is not an absolute monarch, she's a constitutional monarch. 
And it's interesting that even though we are a Protestant Reformed, evangelical, not just Protestant Reformed, but evangelical, the, the, the liturgy of the Church of England, the 39 articles of faith of the Church of England are so close to what we believe that it, it, we could almost say, yeah, that, that's who we are as well. And yet in our nation, Catholicism flourishes. Because in the British system, the person in power who has authority doesn't assert that authority and dominate the rest of us. In Britain, over the years, we are known for our tolerance. And I hope you believe in freedom of religion. I hope you believe that it is right that people should make their choice about what they believe, what religion they have or change or accept or no religion at all. There is such a spirit of tolerance and this flows from the Christian gospel. This flows flows from the understanding that God made us in his image and said, you choose whom you serve. God does not force us or coerce us. He wins us by love. And therefore, in our nation, at the heart of the nation, which is the gospel, is this religious freedom and religious tolerance. And so thank God that it's there. Now, one of the problems that we're going to face, and we should begin to really focus on it, is the anachronisms. In other words, it's now Britain has changed so much that what took place 63 years ago is almost likely never to come back. I can't visualize that this, the, the next coronation will be anything like this, but what will happen? There are certain things that are, it's right to change. It's right to push on one side anything to do with imperialism, yes? It's maybe right for other adaptations and things to flow, so it's much more, much more of a modern presentation. But what we have to be careful about is that there is surely a whole bunch of people who are ready to step in to this situation and throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and say now is the time in a secular, multi-faith Britain there is no place for any exclusivity of the Christian gospel and this will become almost a subtle constitutional change and there will be a hijacking of our nation by people who don't love Jesus in fact who want to make sure that the gospel is totally removed from public life and maybe those who are anti Christian. Now we need to pray about that because I, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know how I'm sure, it's just logical that there are people already with the documents drawn up, with the plan already in place, that as soon as it's kind of, you know, politically correct to start talking about what I'm talking about publicly and openly, then there will be such a stepping in and the forces of evil will do everything in their power to make sure that Britain never again has such a foundation in the gospel. We need to pray. Amen. Second thing is to think through the implications of this for the European Union. I say again, I don't want to enter the politics of it or even the economics of it. I got my viewpoint, but I'm not qualified. I've got to make my own mind up like you have to on that basis. But I am going to vote that we come out not for those reasons, not for materialistic, political, or economic reasons, but for spiritual reasons. So what is unknown there in the continent is what we have in Britain, which is precious and unique. 
We have something which is so strong in our constitution, so strong in this monarch's coronation pledge that places the gospel and, and, and very clearly the Protestant reformed, not the Catholic gospel, the reformed gospel and evangelical gospel at the heart of the nation. And the queen is, I think, one of the best examples of somebody in public life standing for Christ. And yet there's freedom in our nation. And yet she does not impose the Protestant Christian religion in the Anglican church on the rest of us. In fact, what she ensures is that we have the same freedoms, not just as free church people, but the rest of the worshippers in Britain, whatever they worship, they have freedom to do so. But over there in mainland Europe, they would be terrified to have such a position. And the basis of the European Union's constitution, I know that it never got passed, but then it, it became present in the Treaty of Lisbon. Uh, but the point is, is that it's a studied exclusion of anything religious and very specifically of anything Christian. And those people who brought all this together are godless people. I mean that literally without God. They believe that the whole of this United States of Europe, the whole of the European Union should be based on secular principles with nothing to do with God and especially nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So that instead of looking at the history of Europe and to see what made Europe an enlightened place was not the rationalism of the Enlightenment, but it was the love and faith of people who served Jesus Christ. In other words, the freedoms of Europe, even the democratic freedoms, come as a result of the gospel, which is based on the opinion of the individual or the rights of the individual. Are you following me so far? Okay, thank you. Now, let me just give you an example. All over Europe, in Britain and in mainland Europe, we believe in the freedom of the individual, yes? We believe in the rights of the individual. Individual rights is a very important part of modern democratic living and about our freedom to believe and choose to believe and worship as we choose to worship, the freedoms to do that. In recent generations, we have that. It's been very, very, very rare and hard fought, the freedoms we have today. Now then, in Britain, the individual right is based on what? Now, I'm going to speak French to you, but you should all know it because it's written everywhere, all right? You should all know it. So look very intelligent and smile as if you said, I, know, I knew that, Colin. Dieu est mon droit. That is a slogan. French used to be the, you know, the language of, 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 of aristocracy, and, and that's why I speak it, of course. LAUGHTER uh, God and my right. Have you ever seen that? God and my right. So, into the tradition, into the history, into the very warp and woof, the ethos, the DNA of our freedom is an inbuilt acknowledgement that we are accountable to a power higher than us. God himself, that our freedom is linked to our responsibility to surrender to a higher authority. That is the aftermath of a nation that has been educated in the Bible and the gospel. 
But that does not exist in mainland, mainland Europe. The rights of the individual are given as a gift by the state, and the state has replaced God. So it is l'état et mon droit, the state, and my, that doesn't exist as a saying, I'm just making it up to make the contrast. So what this means is that there are no checks and balances concerning individual freedom. We have the freedom to do whatever the state says we can do. And if there's a choice in believing in the state to control my life, or believing in a God, a God of love, who sent Jesus into this world, and a whole set of instructions to which we're all accountable, including kings and queens, I would rather go for belief in God so that my individual rights are seen within the responsibilities in the covenant relationship I have with Almighty God, rather than put that into the hands of a European state who's going to tell me what to do. How interesting to discover that at the very heart of the European Union, in the Treaty of Lisbon, which, which kind of put into, into action the best that they could do of the European Constitution, it, it, it is absolutely clear that there was a studied exclusion of anything religious or spiritual, and what is left is a materialism and a humanism and a secularism which is godless, I mean that quite literally, without God, and which is without Christ, and think of the logic. Anything which today is without Christ and has deliberately excluded Christ, tomorrow can become antichrist. And in fact, it's already there. It's already there. I don't mean antichrist like the man who comes into I'm talking about literally against Christ. So, I believe the only hope for Britain to preserve what God has given us that we can be a light and a beacon over the rest of the European nations is if we manage to extricate ourselves out of Europe. Now, I'm not saying that we should stop being Europeans. I'm not saying we should stop working together, etc., etc. I know all of that, but there is something at work in the European project which makes me very, very uncomfortable. And we know the devil's strategy. He would love to destroy any way in which the gospel is somehow established in our lives and in our nation. But whatever happens, we're going to be faithful. And even so, if, if, if we said, right, you know what, I, I think we need to vote to come out for our economic comfort uh, and our spiritual comfort, it won't work that way. Because we know the days are coming when persecution is going to be everywhere. We were praying for per per the persecuted nations and we kind of still think, what? People are being raped because they're Christians. People are being killed and imprisoned because they're Christians. We don't even know how to begin to relate to that. But we know from Bible prophecies that this kind of thing is going to be increasingly evident everywhere at some time during the end times. And so the real message today is to thank God and honor what he's done and shown us through her majesty and thank God for the history behind it and what we've been able to enjoy and may by the grace of God we preserve that and continue in whatever way we can do so in many, many years to come. But the most important message is this, God is faithful. 
And because God is faithful, you can have faith. You put your trust in something that is faithful. Was it Mary Poppins who sang, I have confidence in confidence alone? Oh, no, 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 baby. Don't, don't have confidence in confidence. Have confidence in something stronger than confidence. Sound of music. Not Mary Poppins. Sound of music. Thank you very much. I need you. Would you be my researcher? I can, I can hear it. I have confidence in confidence alone. No, 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 no. Oh, come on. What's her name? Maria, Maria. Maria, don't sing like that. Have confidence in confidence. I'm confident. Why? I'm confident because I'm confident. No, no, no. You need a better ground of confidence. You need the rock, Christ Jesus. You need to put your feet upon the rock. You need Christ in your life. And you build your life on Christ. That's the confidence. And whatever happens, whatever happens in the outcome in your life or across you, whatever happens, if you're grounded in the rock, if you have Faith in the faithfulness of God and your faithfulness, which is grounded in God's faithfulness, kept alive by God's, God's faithfulness, will bring you to the end full of joy where you hear from the lips of Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you hear that? Ah, that's, that's worth living for. That's worth living for. We're going to pray right now. I'm going to pray, and I want you to join with me, and we do wish... Her Majesty the Queen, a very happy birthday. And we do say how grateful we are for her example, her life, her love, her passion for Jesus, and all the things that she's done for this country over these 90 years and during the time of her reign. And we draw that example for our own lives, but there is a better example. There's the example of Jesus who, though he knew no sin, was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The one who did not shrink back from the pain and the agony of the cross. Who, despising the shame, endured the cross. That we might be saved. But the one who is faithful. Because he's faithful, we are here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I can't think of a better moment in all my life of calling people to put their trust in Jesus today. Maybe today your response to this message is, I don't understand everything, but I know there's something here that I, I feel I want to commit to, even if it's committing to taking this journey forward. Maybe today you're saying, I've heard enough. I want Jesus in my life. I'm ready. Whatever it is, whether you are close, very close, or closer than before, I want you to respond in your heart by saying yes to Jesus. Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross. He rose, rose, rose again from the dead, and he's going to bless you, help you, never leave you, never forsake you in good times, bad times. He's always there for you. And he's saying, are you going to say yes to me? I won't force myself. I just want you to open the door of your heart. If that's you today, here's a prayer that you can pray. Echo it in your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you today. And I thank you that you are faithful. 
Because you're faithful, you're trustworthy. Therefore, I put my trust in you to be my Savior, to be my Lord, to be my guide, to be my friend. Wash me and cleanse me from my sin. Place your Spirit within me that I too can faithfully serve you all the days of my life.